Welcome to another episode of The Truth About Tech. I'm your host, Tori Belici, and today we are going to uh, demystify cryptocurrency. We have a very special guest, Chris McCann, who will hopefully shed some light on this topic. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm really good, man. Good to, good to see you. Yeah. So how did you get into investing in cryptocurrency? Yeah, um, I'm one of the GPs uh, of Race Capital Venture Fund here in Silicon Valley. Uh, but before this, I used to work at a bigger, more traditional fund called Greylock Partners. And back in the 2013, 14, 15 timeframe, uh, Greylock made a handful of investments in the crypto space at the time, which back then it was pretty much only Bitcoin. Um, so it was pretty much only colloquially the Bitcoin space. Um, so they invested in uh, Blockstream, Zappa, Coinbase, kind of all, all within that timeframe. And then uh, th that's sort of when I personally got involved in a lot of this stuff too, uh, mostly for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, through the investments of Coinbase and others, I, I got to meet a lot of the sort of early core, core Bitcoin core contributors. And mm -hmm. a lot of these engineers were um, very different than your classical machine learning and enterprise social. These were far more on the open source um, almost kind of like revolutionary sort of aspect type people. Um, okay. They were not your typical background, not from your Facebook, Google, Amazon, just like very different lineage. And right. so I just, I found it interesting that it was a very different subset of people. And then two is there was this far stronger, um, almost like underlying social mission uh, of trying to recreate what, what was like the financial system at the time. And a lot of this came out of the outgrowth of the 2009 and eight and nine sort of financial crisis. And right. so there's a lot of these ideas and concepts and everything kind of all wrapped into, into one. And like, if you don't, um, as soon as somebody kind of like gets interested, they tend to kind of like fall down the rabbit hole and like yeah. get more and more and more and more and more interested. And so, yeah, I guess that happened to me kind of around the 2013 timeframe. I was like when I bought some of the first like Bitcoin just for myself. Um, again, mostly just like learn about this because I was just uniquely fascinated by it. Because you went to Cal Poly, right? I did. And so what was your, what were you studying at Cal Poly? Yeah, um, <laughs> that is a very simple question with a very not simple answer, I guess. Um, uh, 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 technically, um, I graduated with a degree in the business school for entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, untechnically, there actually was not an entrepreneurship major. I was the one who actually created it. And I mostly created it because, uh, um, so, uh, so wait, uh, wait, wait a minute. So you went to that school and then you created your own yes. <laughs> curriculum. You're um, like, I know you guys don't have this, but I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to create this. Yeah. Because not all schools like this, but Cal Poly was very um, strict on the classes you take. So if you were like in the finance department, they basically planned all of your classes for you. And okay. uh, um, I, I was just, I, I guess I was more curious about a lot of things. So I wanted to take some CS classes, math, psychology, philosophy, finance, kind of wow. everything. I, I was interested in a lot of things. And my advisor kept telling me like, what are you doing? You are not going to graduate. <laughs> and so um, I, I tried doing an independent studies major, but for a lot oh. of reasons, like um, they, they wouldn't let me do it. And at the time when I was a junior, I was running, um, I would, uh, Cal Poly had a business plan competition and an engineering competition. And there yep. was kind of a lot of headway to create some entrepreneurship major. And so I basically just stuck myself along part of this. And I said, I will help you guys create it if I can be the first student to graduate in it with my collective set of classes. And the, the dean of the, the business school was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. You could do that. <laughs> so 
did, do they keep this program going or was that it? We like, did. Um, so, so did. Um, yeah, we ended up, uh, it, it was kind of funny. I was, I, as a junior student, uh, was on the hiring committee to bring on uh, the now head of entrepreneurship for the school itself. And now it's like in a de department with like a building and kind of all the um, kind of classical school stuff. But yeah, back did then. Name, did they put your name on the building? Unfortunately not. not. <laughs> I didn't think, donate enough. <laughs> yeah, only the people who donate get their name on the building. <laughs> um, so do you, do you see yourself, like, were you always an entrepreneur? Like, did you see yourself that way? Yeah, I've always had this streak bent to me. Like my, my parents even joke, like when I was a, um, a little kid, I was the kid in class that used to, um, I used to sell like gummy bears to my friends. So my mom used to buy packs of like hundreds at Costco, but I would sell them for like a dollar each and, you know, take all the margin for myself. Um, or I, I did all the, I was really into Pokemon cards, but not for the Pokemon itself, but mostly for like the trading aspect. So I, I've always had this like bent to me, I guess. Um, although I guess to tie it back into the Cal Poly side, I remember, I think it was when I was a sophomore, uh, one of the partners from uh, DFJ, Draper Fisher Jervison, uh, came to give a talk at Cal Poly uh, and he was a venture capitalist. And so he talked about what he did and his job and kind of all that stuff. And, and me as a, a, as a sophomore, I, I was completely blown away because I, I did not know that there was this job that existed called the venture capitalist. I did not know right. about this industry. And I didn't realize that you could actually do this as a career. And so I remember thinking to myself, like, I really want, like, when I graduate, I really want to move to Silicon Valley. And I really want to be close to this, start a company and kind of figure out how all this works. Um, I, I guess in hindsight, I guess I did a lot of that stuff. So it's funny kind of being on the other side of it. But, but really, that was like really my first foray into kind of learning more about this industry we call the VC industry. Right. Isn't that, is that so crazy? Now, now you were talking about the, the collapse, you know, the 2008 housing you know, fiasco that, that I mean, it decimated um, the markets and also the banking systems. And so you're saying that out of that, this idea of this decentralized currency, cryptocurrency was born. Yeah. Um, uh, Bitcoin has this strongly and the other ones do in, in non-financial realms, which uh, I'm assuming we'll probably get into this in a little bit, uh, but sort of the core underlying technology behind Bitcoin itself is really the blockchain. Uh, mm -hmm. And the blockchain, the easiest conceptual way to think about it is you can kind of just think about it like an accounting ledger. It basically just shows like what everybody balances is, who spent what, and all of it reconciles um, back to... Uh, um, sort of the original record. So you could always run it from the beginning to, to the current point in time. And you can see that the amounts always line up and everything. Um, mm -hmm. The only thing that's very different is this ledger is completely and utterly public. And so anybody can query anybody's balances as long as they have their public key and all right. of the balances of all the addresses are all completely public. And so you can't, in Bitcoin, you can't really do things like you can't have a, a uh, you can't create two Bitcoin and sort of lend upon that. You can't have under collateralization. Um, you, you can't kind of do funny stuff with it because, again, right. it, it all has to come down back to this record that is public, um, which, again, is very different than um, how our classical banking system is. That right. is basically all, yeah, it, it, it's all under collateralized system where when you give a dollar to a bank, they're actually loaning more than that out. And so yeah. there's always sort of more outstanding than what is actually in reserve. Um, in Bitcoin, it's a very different um, 
philosophy and very different demarcation to it, specifically, I guess, on the financial asset side. And so what drew you to that aspect? Because I mean, you're, you're a VC, so it's like you're constant. I mean, are you, are you investing in all different types of companies? Yeah, um, let, let, let me answer that in like two parts, I guess. Give some okay. historical context of like where it started from and what it is now. And then I'll answer like the more specific one on what we're investing into. And so okay. I, I'll call it like gen, generation one, if you will, like the 2013 to 16-ish timeframe. It was mostly around Bitcoin as the currency itself. People okay. thought about it as like the financial asset. People thought about it as like cryptocurrency. It was trading. It was like the currency itself. It really was the financial asset. You couldn't really like do much with it outside of just kind of buy and hold and kind of keep it with you, if you will. Um, yeah. the, the biggest next generation, Gen 2, if you will, um, was really around Ethereum. And Ethereum pioneered this concept called smart contracts. Um, you can kind of think about it like it's little, basically simple sort of code snippets, if-then statements, kind of recursive statements that you could program. And you can put these things publicly on the blockchain as well. And so when you actually run this, you can actually um, sort of verify the output of it. And with this, you can start to construct simple-based application that do more things than just purely the monetary asset side. Um, and, th and that was kind of like generation two, if you will. Generation three, which I would argue we're kind of going down the path of this right now, is you're seeing this concept to its full fruition. And so you're seeing other things outside of Ethereum like Solana and Polkadot and um, Avalanche and a whole bunch of these layer one protocols where these things are all around more general computation. So you can actually construct a full application end to end using the blockchain as basically the core infrastructure to run compute and you can construct full applications around this. And the applications could be financial applications like DeFi stuff, NFT things, social things, gaming things. You could have a general sort of construct kind of on top of this. Um, and, and so again, a lot of people, when they look into it, they get a little bit confused because sometimes these two concepts are rolled into one. There is yeah. the cryptocurrency financial aspect but there's also the general computation sort of more generalized building uh, aspect, if you will. And for us, the fund, we're really mostly focused on the latter, not so much in the former. Um, we're not a hedge fund, like we're a VC fund. We don't buy and sell and trade assets. We, we're mostly investing in early stage new companies, mostly things on the infrastructure layer that go to power a lot of these applications. And we're looking for a lot of the things that are going to matter in the really long term uh, for this whole emerging space as a whole. So you're not so so you are taking companies or investing in companies that are using blockchain, not necessarily going, oh, let's buy a bunch of Bitcoin or let's buy a bunch of yes. Ethereum. Um, yeah. Interesting. And so, but you guys, but do so you don't do you don't hold any crypto in your fund. Uh, uh, let me answer your, your, your question in two parts again, I guess. <laughs> we, we, the fund, like do not hold, I guess, like, uh, uh, um, Bitcoin or Ethereum, like we're not trading it. We're not speculating. Okay. We're not doing anything. There are other funds that do this, by the way, there's like, um, market making funds or hedge funds or sort of quantitative traders or anything, or they, again, they're looking for a more like, um, almost treat them like, like classical hedge funds. They're looking for right. more right. shorter term time duration. Like Warren Buffett. Stuff. Yeah, um, uh, we're more, uh, I guess, on the VC side. So I guess think okay. like Sequoia or Adrian or whatever. Yep. We have yep. that same exact lens and framework when we look at um, this space. 
Um, uh, I say, let me answer your question in two parts because some of these new companies can issue a token around their network. And so yeah. we by fact will hold this uh, uh, on the fund's behalf um, if the company itself is tokenized, if you will. Um, uh, a good example of this, I guess, would be like the, um, so I, I was one of the first sort of angel investors in a, a layer one protocol called Solana. Uh, yeah. Solana has a, a native token called Sol. Uh, Sol is primarily used to run the Solana network. Um, so if you want the Solana network to do any amount of computation for you, you need to hold a little a bit of Sol. Kind of think about it almost like a AWS and AWS credits. This mm -hmm. is almost like Solana and Sol credits. You gotcha. buy them and acquire them to basically use the network in it, in and of itself. And the whole thing is constructed in this way. So all the investors, all the participants, all of the uh, validators, all of the service providers, everything is all denominated in Sol in the Sol ecosystem. So that's kind of like your currency, for lack of a better phrase, within that particular ecosystem. Um, gotcha. And that's the thing that you invest in as an investor, kind of in the early stage side. So you're investing in the actual coin to use their service. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and, and again, not all companies have this dynamic. Like we are also seed investors in an exchange called FTX. Um, and okay. that is like a pure FTX is like a derivative ex exchange. Think about it kind of like what Coinbase does, uh, but more around derivatives and international and rest of the world. Is um, that you guys had that Super Bowl commercial? Yes, yeah, they did a big Super Bowl commercial. Oh, but that was uh, Larry David, right? Yes. Um, yes. Sam, oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Bankman's a very, uh, Sam Bankman, the founder, he's a very colorful character. And um, he, he's, uh, I guess, much more well-known now than when we invested at the time. But, but that company looks more like a traditional um, company, if you will, like where equity holders, yeah. they make money when there's trades or whatever. It is within the Web3 and crypto ecosystem, but at the same time, it actually looks and operates for, far more like a normal company. Um, so, so I guess this is another part that's kind of confusing is there's, there's things that are pure currencies, Bitcoin. There's, yeah. there's, there's networks that are, are more tokenized, like Solana, if you will. And there's companies being built around these things that just look like more like pure companies, like FTX or Coinbase. And again, all these are usually grouped up into the same thing when really mm -hmm. they kind of are different beasts, if you will, or like that you sort of have to evaluate them slightly differently. Right. Because I mean, most people like I for, for what I know, my knowledge, it's all it's all currency based. Right. It's like what's Ethereum doing? What's Bitcoin doing? What, what are the prices? Uh, less about using the, the blockchain to actually build these platforms. The Truth About Tech is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's linking the metaverse with the physical world using the Internet of Things. Everything from electric vehicles to smart cities to smart grids and digital twins. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data coming from public infrastructure and commercial sources, all highly curated for uses in areas as diverse as augmented reality, insurance calculations, or guiding delivery drones. Check it out at Turbine.com. That's T-E-R-B-I-N-E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. You know a lot more about this than I do. Like, how does crypto go from an idea to a reality? Um, I, I guess, are you, are you asking more about on the uh, um, uh, sort of builder entrepreneur side? Or are you asking yeah. more about like, the mainstream sort of adoption side? 
No, no, just like, like, I mean, you can go into either, either form, but I'm just yeah. curious how this whole concept came into being. Like, how, how did it become a reality that we're all now becoming oh, used um, to? Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, Bitcoin started in 2019, or sorry, 2009. Um, it was a white paper by a now um, famous anonymous person named Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, he kind of came up with this concept uh, and imbued it in a paper called a white paper, um, sort of like your scientific white paper, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, um, and put it out there. Um, and other people um, in the initial sort of mailing list um, believed in this idea. And so they all ran machines to, uh, uh, to basically put their computing power, kind of mining into the network itself. Um, wow. And then uh, it started. Um, it started really small. It was super obscure. Not a lot of people knew about this. Not a lot of people believed in this. There was no, it, it was very hard to even buy, buy it at the time. Like I remember, I, I think I tried buying Bitcoin in like 2011 or 12, but like oh, there was, my God. There was no, like, even if you wanted to, it was very difficult to do it. There, were, there weren't really exchanges. There were some like shady sort of money sort of transmitter things, but like yeah. you, you couldn't really like trust them or whatever. There was like Mt. Gox, which, you know, eventually failed and all that. Um, it, it, was a, it was a much more obscure, far more Wild West than it, it kind of is today. There was no um, social proof, like nobody was investing in this thing. Um, right. but, but with a lot of these things, to go back to your initial question of how do they become, if you will, is they, they really are the, the, the true believers and the people willing to participate over periods of time. And again, a lot of these things, they tend to start small and they compound. The more and more people you get to be bought into this, the more and more the network scale grows and the more and more the assets worth. Um, yeah. And for a lot of the participants, there is value to being early because if you could identify one of these things early on and you are one of the participants early on and you earn some of the uh, the 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 native asset as the reward itself and if that network continues to do well these things can be worth a lot in the um, terminal value scheme grand scheme of things yeah. so in addition to the people who use things and in addition to the people who invest in these things there's also a world of these people who are more participants in these things, uh, whether they're, you know, validators, miners, um, liquidity providers. Um, there's a whole sort of um, industry, if you will, of, of other service providers, if you will, sort of mm -hmm. attaching themselves onto these things. And again, the more support and buying you get from the existing community and ecosystem, um, the more and more this things persists and persist over ups and downs and the crazy volatility that all this stuff uh, entails. Yeah, um, and, uh, and you know, especially with this kind of spike with Bitcoin, um, do you see that this is becoming more and more acceptable? 100%, uh, I mean, again, back in the 2012, thir you know, 13, 14 timeframe, this was really obscure. Very few people were talking about this stuff. Very few people were investing in it. Um, to even think at that time that corporations would be taking this seriously, companies like Tesla would be putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, Company, right. or countries would be accepting this as legal tender, the IRS would seek to tax this stuff, they even treated it as like actual real monetary value and not some like fictitious thing. These right. would have been crazy things to think about in 2012-13. 
Um, the industry is completely and utterly shifted. You have, um, again, all, everything that I just mentioned, plus you have, you know, traditional normal hedge funds like getting into this stuff. You have normal venture, venture right. funds uh, getting into this stuff. Um, uh, we recently hired a new partner uh, named uh, Richard Lamb, who came from the Ontario Teachers uh, Pension Fund. He ran all of their uh, um, uh, venture book and sort of all their limited partner um, activities. The Ontario Teachers Pension Fund, which again is the pension fund of Ontario, they, they co-led the last round of FTX um, Series C and B1 with Sequoia. Like, <laughs> this is, this, this is, this right, is, because you, you have, I mean, there's still a ton of skeptics out there that don't think that this is a real thing, that it could just go away tomorrow, right? They're like, it, it could just evaporate. But it's like, like you're saying, I mean, th th these are major investors and major investment, you know, companies that are looking at this as a real trading commodity. Yeah, don't get me wrong. These things still should be treated. I guess take no financial advice, but these things should, still should be treated. I want to hear all your financial advice. Give me, give me the inside track. <laughs> no. um, these, these things should be treated as very high risk assets. Like you're on the bleeding edge of the most bleeding edge of like some of the newest, weirdest, funkiest stuff that's out there. By the way, everything we've been talking to so far, this is more of like the more simple conception things. When you start talking yeah. into like, AMMs and liquidity pools and Dow, like you can start to get into like some really like weird, weird stuff in the space, which again is like really fun to play with as a, um, a person too. But uh, um, th this stuff is still very high risk, but it, you've seen a lot of things being de-risked about this. You're seeing, you know, normal traditional investors get into this. You're seeing um, regu re regulatory agencies starting to take this seriously. You're seeing countries, companies, everything across the board. Um, I, I would have a very hard time seeing this stuff going going away um yeah. and 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 even if it went away in its current form uh, like once you've taken the cat out of the bag it's very hard to put it back in a lot of these concepts i think will still persist uh, um there, there's just too much there's too much momentum there's too much activity there's too many entrepreneurs doing this uh any new entrepreneur who like is serious about building like the next thing is, is like most interested in the exciting thing Again, it's mostly all crypto web three stuff. Um, a lot of the engineers at the Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazons of the world, like they're all building this stuff on nights and weekends, even though they yeah. might not be telling their employers that. <laughs> so why, why invest in this? Why, I mean, if this is such a risky field, why did you decide that this is what you were going to focus your, your investing on? Um, well, well I, I guess the good thing is uh, um, uh, venture capital and VCs, like this is, th this is the specialty of it. Um, you, you're finding very, uh, things with very uh, high potential outcome, uh, with very high potential risk of failure. But if it works, these things tend to make a huge material difference on society. They, take, they tend to have huge um, economic sort of uh, uh, material differences as well. Um, and they're just, um, if you want to find like the biggest lever in the world, there's no bigger one than early stage venture. Uh, and there's no bigger potential asymmetric risk than, than web three crypto early stage. I mean, this is the, this, this is it, if you will. Um, so, I, I mean, to give you like a personal, personal example, if you will, um, FTX, we invested in, uh, 2019, uh, we are the biggest participant, we're the biggest traditional VC participant in the seed round itself when, uh, Sam Bankman is starting the exchange. Um, 2019 to 2022, really 21, um, uh, this company has grew incredibly. 
Um, last year, they did over a billion dollars in revenue in ARR. And to have a company go from like almost nothing to that scale, um, that, that big in that quick of a time frame, plus even more than that, Sam Bankman, the founder, he was literally just at Congress, like I think last week, like he is literally single-handedly helping to set the rules and regulations for digital assets, not just in the US, but in Europe and in Asia and all these places. Yeah. Um, these, these people and the founders and what they do, they tend to have very outsized influence on the world kind of going forward. And again, like you can't get any better leverage than being on the ground floor of some of these things and getting the trust and being there kind of from day one. So this this is, I don't know, this is what I love, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But like, do you see the traditional big banks? I mean, there's a lot of opposition to this, right? Because it's like now you're you're taking the power out of their hands and you're just giving it to the to the masses. Like the 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 regular people have the power now with this system um do you see like governments trying to put regulations on this or trying to stop it there's a very love hate relationship going on here uh the hate side if you will is yeah one this does not really fit inside the context of how things have worked and operated today uh these things are not going through banks and core banking systems. There's not all these intermediaries. Payments are not going through credit card networks. It's a separate field that really does not include them. Uh, yeah. that, that if this stuff works at terminal value could have big material impacts on their revenue and their balance sheet and their bottom line in the future. Again, still it's still small. Um, yeah. So uh, while it has the potential to do that, like when you look today, like worldwide payment volume, crypto payments worldwide, it's still probably infinitesimally small um, compared to worldwide payments of traditional stuff. So um, like today, it's not really fundamentally challenging it, um, but it does have the potential to do it. Um, on the love relationship, on the love-hate spectrum, on the love side, you have two things. One, you have all of the bank's highest net worth clients wanting to buy and acquire and trade and do all the stuff with these assets. And if the banks don't offer this, um, then they're going to be left out from that aspect too. And so they really want to cater, especially to their high net worth and institutional clients. And so they're kind of forced to offer these things, whether or not they like them or, or not. And then right. two, maybe to help with that is these things also tend to be much higher margin. So, you know, typically in a, a on a, you know, trading system or whatever, and like in the normal world, you might be looking at one to like five bips of, uh, you know, kind of margin or spread between the two. And in the crypto space, you literally are seeing percents, if not sometimes tens of percents. This is 10 to 100x to almost 1000x bigger than their revenue lines of what they see today. So again, they, they sort of have this like love-hate relationship where right. they really don't want to like it, but like they really kind of like it. Um, yeah. And like they don't know what to make of it. And again, it is weird for them. So, you know, you've seen different financial institutions uh, uh, um, react to this differently. Um, yeah. And then maybe one real example, we have another portfolio company called PolySign, uh, which does a kind of core custody for uh, crypto assets. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the company that led their Series B was a Cowan and Company, which is the oldest uh, investment bank in the US. And the reason why they invested is because they want to offer crypto custody to their clients. So, so again, it's one of those things where like you die if you don't, but it, you die if you do. But right. They, they if they of, don't, going to be left behind. I mean, the, you know, it's like the whole concept was created to decentralize banking, right? To, to make it, put it in the hands of the people. 
and now they're forced to get involved because if they don't, they're going to lose out. Yes. Do you, do you ever see it being at a point where we have true decentralized banking through this? Yeah, one of the, the, the more recent things that came out, I guess to talk about more of like the bleeding edge stuff, if you will, uh, Solana just released this new thing called Solana Pay, uh, and, uh, uh, which allows you to pay sort of using crypto rails. Um, and they had a, a merchant uh, locally here in uh, Redwood City. It's just like a little coffee shop in Redwood City. And so okay. I, I went to try it myself. And so um, from your phone, uh, you have your crypto wallet on your phone. Uh, I was using native USDC. So it's like a tokenized version of the U US dollars. Uh, okay. So native USDC. Um, I was able to pay for my cappuccino using USDC uh, directly just by scanning a, a barcode, if you will. Um, yeah. The, mer the merchant is settled on the other side with USDC. Um, it deposits from my account. And that happened faster that uh, the uh, that happened quicker than it took to get the cappuccino. That um, crazy. So people yeah. are using it to you know buy normal day you know, like just everyday products. And, and if you think about it, so I was able to pay completely using a crypto wallet. Right. Uh, I did not go through a bank account um, when I made the payment. I did not go through Visa or Mastercard or American Express. Right. Uh, the five percent interchange fee that the merchant would have had to pay goes directly to them, um, and then the merchant just also gets paid in the form of USDC, which is effectively US dollars as well. Um, so all that happened completely outside of the traditional system on completely right. new fintech financial rails. Right. Um, again, very small example. Like there's literally only one merchant. It's still super new. This isn't widespread. Um, but but again, you can kind of see where this potentially might go. And, yeah. and, I, and I really like using this example because everybody always questions like, why would you ever you know, pay for anything in Bitcoin? Like, why would you ever use your assets? Again, in this case, I'm just talking about purely US digitized US dollars. Like, yeah. let's not talk about anything crazy. Like, let's not you know, talk about, you know, there's much crazier stuff you can do with this. But even in just its pure sort of dollar denominated form, the stuff yeah. is still pretty valuable in and of itself. Right. That is wild. I mean, that's got to be it's it it's best for the customer and the business because you're you're basically cutting out the middlemen who are you know charging you for all these transaction fees, and it's just it's it's a waste. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. The merchant just um yeah downloads an app, sets up a QR code, puts it up there. It's kind of it's very akin to. Um, uh, um, I don't know if there's the equivalent here, but like in, in China, there'd be like WeChat Pay. Um, WeChat Pay, a lot of the, the, the value is transacted through that way. It just directly through like the digital wallet. Um, okay. In this case, the, just the, instead of having to trust, I guess, uh, Tencent or Alibaba or anything like that, um, the infrastructure is just, it's, again, it's, it's, it's publicly available and publicly out there. Um, the other thing that, that does it, that, that the other, um, uh, result of this, if you will, uh, is the infrastructure is completely um, uh, unbiased towards anybody that wants to use it. Um, if you have USDC in wallet, it does not matter if you're black, brown, young, old, literally doesn't matter. If you have the value in your wallet, you're able to transact and like literally nobody can tell you otherwise. Um, and the merchant doesn't care because the merchant gets paid. Um, yeah. so, so it's a very, um, it's a very like unbiased uh, um, sort of rails as well.
That's incredible. I mean, that, that, that's, I can see that just completely changing the face of how we live our lives. You know, it's just going to make things more convenient. Um, you're going to get rid of all this kind of control that these companies have, you know, these credit card companies and bank, they have over us. Uh, that's, I can see why, you know, why there, you know, there's probably going to be some pushback. Yeah. And again, like, um, maybe let me temper it by two things. One, it is super early days. <laughs> so yeah. so um, we as VCs always try to project outwards what this could be, but there's also like the reality. Again, one coffee shop in Redwood City is not going to like harm Visa in any material way. But again, you can kind of see like the potential of it. And two, I mean, uh, if Starbucks catches on and then they, they incorporate it in their stores, it's like it instantly goes from one to thousands right? um and then the other thing too is uh, uh i i don't know if uh there's definitely some people in the crypto space that are super hardcore like a uh, decentralization and they want no centralized counterparties and like it's going to be completely peer-to-peer -peer, and like there's going to be no um I i'm actually of the position like i don't think it'll be that extreme um i do think there will be some amount of merchants like again if you are starbucks and you want to adopt a new sort of POS system, or you want to integrate with this within your existing POS system, you're probably going to need a company to do that for you. You probably don't want to think about custody. You probably don't want to think about individual wallets. There's going to have to be other products and services built to enable this and like actually make this a reality. And I do think some of either the existing companies or new companies will step in and kind of fill those shoes. But the, the thing I do think it, it most fundamentally changes is really the financial infrastructure that we use today. It's the core banking systems, it's the credit card networks, um, it's the settlement networks. It's all this like underlying stuff that is uh, um, not as visible, a little bit clunkier, takes large take rates. These things yeah. are in its most trouble because again, these things can be replaced by other stuff now. Um, there will be companies built on top of this. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I don't think it will be completely company-less. Um, yeah. But, but uh, it, it does change a lot of our embedded assumptions on how we think flow of funds and payments work today. Yeah, no, that, that's crazy. I mean, it's, I, I feel like once people catch on and they get, they grasp the concept, everyone's going to embrace it. But then, like I said, you still have these critics who are out there saying, this is just a fad. It's going to, you know, it could all evaporate. Um, and it's like, why, you know, why are these critics doing that? Is it because they're afraid of this new coming technology? You always have, um, with anything that new that comes out, you, you usually have kind of two things that happen in parallel. One is a lot of these things, when they first start, they look a little bit more like um, toys, if you will. And, and people have a harder time grasping the, the more fundamental principles that the stuff is doing. Like when eBay started, like Beanie Babies, and we were like, ah, oh, you know, what is this for? Like how many Beanie Babies are going to be traded out there? Um, right. When Uber started, it was mostly for black cars. And yeah. some people are like, how many people are going to like use black cars? It's probably like a luxury service. I don't think it's going to affect me all that much. Um, when Instacart got started, it's like, ah, oh, this is like for rich people. I don't think this is really going to affect grocery stores that, that much. But again, yeah. when you look at these in its terminal state, um, these small things do have an, uh, an outsized effect, um, again, if they work. Um, yeah. and, and, and again, like I, I do want to be mindful of um, a lot of these super, super early stage things, uh, the likelihood that they do work 
um, is still low. <laughs> um, the likelihood that all you know payment rails are completely you know upended by Solana Pay is a potential reality, but small. Um, yeah. But but if not them, somebody else will attempt this, and there will be enough tries and enough shot and goals and enough companies that like somebody will do this, mm -hmm. um, and that's when the uh, that's when it flips. And, and so trying to figure out, identify which founders are the ones doing this, which understand the current dynamic. Is this the right time to do this? Or like, should we wait a little bit? Um, maybe it's the next generation. Um, these are a lot of the things that like, you know, we as early stage VCs need to like think about um, and thinking about the companies like we're backing. Because um, again, a lot of this time dependency really matters too. Yeah. Now, what companies that you're looking at right now or have invested in that you're really excited about? Yeah, um, I mentioned a few of them. So um, uh, Solana and FTX, I, I, I won't belabor the point, if you will. FTX, that's so funny because it's like, <laughs> I never heard of them until the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, it worked. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll say um, two others, uh, um, just as examples, if you will. Um, so one one of the, the biggest uh, DeFi applications within the Solana ecosystem uh, mm -hmm. is a company called Sabre. Um, what they build is kind of these cross-chain liquidity pools, if you will. Um, okay. So especially... Um, uh, uh, to try to think about it simply, um, uh, if you think about now that we live in this world of many, 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 many different assets, uh, you need to have sort of specific pools um, to be able to balance a lot of these things. So if you're using USDC between USDT, uh, between Sol and another version of Sol, uh, between, you know, slightly more exotic like CUSD tokens and USD stuff, you, you need things to kind of keep the price um, and keep the kind of control on all these things. Um, yeah. And these are known as kind of like a, like, like either um, uh, uh, sort of liquidity providers or kind of like liquidity pools at large. Um, and Sabre is kind of the biggest one within the Solana ecosystem. They've grown sort of incredibly from, you know, almost nothing uh, sort of locked up in their contracts to, you know, over a few billion dollars in TVL. Um, uh, it was started by two brothers, Dylan and Ian Macliano. Um, they were part of like the really kind of early crypto scene when DeFi was being started super impressive entrepreneurs. Um, and they've kind of built this whole kind of ecosystem around them. Um, and a, a related concept to that one, another company we invested in is called Allbridge. Um, Allbridge is also this idea of just like we need to have kind of pools across many assets, Solana will also probably not be the only blockchain in all of existence. There's gonna be Solana, there's gonna be Ethereum, there's gonna be Avalanche, there's gonna be Near. there's probably gonna be a lot more of these things. And yeah. then, so the cross communication of how these things talk to each other matter a lot. And right. so Allbridge lets you take your assets. So I can take my, again, keeping the simple analogy, I can right. take my USDC, US dollars from Solana and I can uh -huh. send them to Ethereum. So I could have my USDC represented on Ethereum and I can send it back and forth. Um, and all that, all that cross communication, cross kind of bridging, um, Allbridge does kind of all within their package itself. And they make it kind of really easy to do so. Well, it's funny because I was I was on YouTube looking for, you know, because I'm I'm fascinated with cryptocurrency and then like the NFTs and all this stuff. But I saw I came across this, I guess he's this billionaire now where he discovered a there was Bitcoin was trading at like ten thousand dollars a coin in the US, but in Japan it was trading at eleven thousand. So he just kept buying ten million dollars worth of Bitcoin at a time and selling it to Japan and making a million every transaction. And he just kept doing that. Um, 
how, like, how did that happen? How, you know, how do they do, I'm sure they're regulating stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let me answer your question in a, a few parts, if you will. This is also a, a Sam Bateman, the founder of FTX. This is actually how he got started too. Um, okay. So back in the 2017 timeframe, there used to be this thing called the kimchi premium. So I, I think, I think Ethereum is worth like, I could be not wrong on the numbers, but like Ethereum, I think was worth like two or 3000 bucks like in most normal exchanges. And uh -huh. in Korea, the kimchi premium, um, it was worth, I think like $8,000. The price dislocation was super high. Um, right. This is due to like a few reasons. One, um, uh, so to like, uh, to set up an exchange account in Korea, you had to be a Korean citizen. You had to have a Korean bank account. Um, you had to uh, have a Korean phone number. Um, the amount of trading volume was just a lot higher and the the price kind of de-pegged against itself. And because like there was, wasn't really this like uh, um, there weren't really like big market makers at the time. There were like these really huge spreads, and and so you could probably see why a lot of these more traditional sort of trader guys, like um, Sam Bankman was from uh, Jane Street. Again, okay. they're typically used to on like the normal market if something's trading at you know forty oh if it was forty oh one, they're like oh wow this is like a huge spread like you could make so much money by doing this. Right. And so when they look at this crypto stuff and something that's worth three thousand and eight thousand, they're like oh man this is like <laughs> this is huge. This is like you know uh, like shooting fish in a barrel like this is the right. easiest thing I can think of. Um, and so this is this is how Sam Bankman got started. Um, uh, I will say unfortunately uh, I, I guess to anybody who's watching this. Um, a lot of those spreads have compressed a lot. Yeah. People have gotten much more sophisticated about this now. There's like full dedicated like quant funds, quant teams, a logarithmic traders, a program, smart contracts that, that bridge across all these different things. There, there still is some opportunity around this, especially when you're talking about um, cross chain and all that, like the mm -hmm. price of Ethereum on Ethereum versus the price of Ethereum on Sol versus Near versus you know, I'm sure there still is some uh, uh, um, uh, sort of weakages between the two, yeah. between all these things. Um, but but the the space has gotten far more efficient on its own, um, just because again, if there is like a free price opportunity, like people are very good at like figuring these things out for themselves. Right. And so right. like natural market conditions kind of correct a lot of this stuff, especially as the the size of the space has gotten bigger. Yeah, I was just like when I heard that, I'm like, oh my god, like what. A what a missed opportunity, right? <laughs> for, for everybody else. This podcast is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's linking the physical and digital worlds using the internet of things. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data from around the world, powering everything from electric vehicles to improved air quality and self-driving big rigs. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T-E-R-B-I-N-E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. What uh, we were, I was mentioning NFTs. What, what are your thoughts on NFTs? Are they, is this a fad or is it, are they around to stay? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure if everybody watching is going to be watching on video or audio only, but if you can see behind me, this is actually an, an NFT. It's called a Playground Wave. Oh, okay. um, it, it, it's in the Solana ecosystem. It's like these wave type uh um, sort of Boylinger band, kind of pretty sort of color type structures, if you will. Um, per personally, uh, uh, I actually love like collecting these things. Um, I have a whole bunch of NFTs, mostly more on like the artistic side. Um, yeah. I, I like a lot of, more of like the art centric ones. Um, I like displaying a bunch of them. Uh, uh, there's sort of all this intersection of uh, 
um, of NFTs and DeFi and like collateralizing them and doing like I, I love trying a lot of this stuff. Um, I guess on a more sort of fundamental level, um, there's a few kind of questions embedded in here. So one is you can look at NFTs as more of like the purely collectible side and just treat them as almost like collectible assets, AKA like the Beanie Babies or you know anything you want kind of in that realm. Um, two is a, a lot of people are, are using these uh, 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 embodiments as NFTs to put in more gaming assets in gaming items. Um, so you can think about like the sword you have in your game or your power up yeah. or whatever, that can right. actually be owned by you and that can be traded and and sold and bought and you know this is more owned by you not the publisher um, anymore if you will um, and then three th there's more um, generalized kind of versions of these uh, whether it be I guess like music or video or potentially like IP rights or um, even like financial NFTs um, the thing that's kind of confusing about NFTs is uh, NFT is a very generalizable concept it's a mm -hmm. non-fungible token. It's something that is unique to in and of itself. Um, the, right. the best analogy I can kind of think of is, uh, um, or I, I can um, portray, if you will, a fungible asset. You can kind of think about it almost like a dollar. If you have a dollar and I have a dollar, I don't really care which dollar I get. As long as I have one of them, it's kind of the same to me. It doesn't matter. Versus if I have my car keys and you have your car keys, and we trade them back and forth. I kind of care which one I get back because I kind of want my car car keys. Right, I really right. Want your car keys. Um, so like this car key is it's it's like mine. It's a unique asset to me. Um, yeah. So the NFTs are unique assets, um, but yeah. this unique asset is a generalizable concept um, that can be applicable to a whole bunch of things. Right now, we mostly think about them as like pictures and JPEGs that you can buy right. and trade. But like, that's not really what they're all about. It's actually slightly more fundamental than that. And so I'm very bullish on NFTs as a concept in the long run. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of like the purely artistic stuff, like I, you know, I, I love buying and holding a bunch of these things. Although yeah. from a venture scale opportunity, I'm not sure like how big just that specific instantiation of it would be. Gotcha. Um, so do you own any like, Per, like you personally in, in in cryptocurrency what what do you what are your top five? <laughs> oh man this um, is not let's disclaimer this is not financial advice but what do you got yeah um let me try to answer your question in a uh <laughs> in a five-part question in a five-part answer <laughs> in, in, in a more um, i love how you have all these uh, extra part you got you got to you partialize your answers. I like it. Multiple <laughs> parts to this answer. Okay. Um, so so uh, uh, a lot of the, um, again, keep in mind, so uh, we are early stage venture investors. And so the vast majority of these things we um, invest in are usually before the product is released, before it's out there, before anything. And for me, uh, I, I'm actually uh, just on an individual basis. I am a way more fundamentally long-term holder for all of these things. And so again, like I don't trade these things. I don't really treat them as short-term. Like I am looking for the things that are going to be worth many times orders of magnitude in the future. There's a high chance that these things could not work. So again, they mm -hmm. are risky bets. Um, and so you have to have kind of a portfolio mindset to a lot of these things. Um, but a lot of them are, are many of the things kind of I mentioned before. Um, Solana, I still hold the vast majority, if not all, the position I, I, um, I had in the beginning. I'm still very sort of long-term bullish on that um, as a network as a whole. 
Um, uh, in terms of Sabre, we're very large holders of the Sabre token. Uh, we govern and staked it for the max five-year period um, that we can do. Um, and we really fundamentally believe in the, uh, in the team itself. Uh, for FTX, we do hold the native token, FTT. We're probably one of the bigger FTT um, holders out there. We staked it for, again, as long as we possibly could. Um, and then for all the companies you mentioned too, like we're um, very sort of long-term holders on a lot of this, uh, on a lot of this stuff. Um, a lot of the things like I do kind of want to- You are the Warren Buffett of crypto. Um, a lot of these other things, uh, my, my partners always joke with me, like even the, you know, NFTs I buy either like the, um, I, I own a lot of like um, uh, Solana monkey business, like degenerate apes, uh, playground waves and epochs and a lot of this stuff. Um, a lot of my partners joke with me, like, aren't, when are you going to sell these things? Like, you know, <laughs> aren't they? And, and even to me, to a lot of this stuff, I also treat it sort of as long-term um, bets as well. Like I, I don't really look to trade them. Like I'm not looking to sell them. I, I do like them for their aesthetic look in and of itself. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and I don't know, I just really want to see where all this stuff goes. That is awesome. That is so cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Chris. This was, this was so enlightening and, and enlightening. Um, so where do you see the future? This last question, where do you want to see the future of cryptocurrency going? Yeah. Um, or blockchain or, you know, just the, just the whole, the whole concept. Yeah, maybe maybe two things. One is uh, I, I do. There is this unfortunate uh, misconception out here that all crypto is is all Web three is is just the cryptocurrency assets and it's the buying, selling, trading. And again, sometimes people do unfortunately miss out on a lot of the other stuff. And so I wish that perception changes. Um, it is changing a little bit now. Um, whoever uh, uh, coined the word Web three. I think did actually like a pretty good service to the industry because it gets it away from just the purely concept of just cryptocurrencies and it gets it more to the broader context of what founders are doing. But, but I, I hope this is more uh, pervasive and kind of the general public and not just with a smaller subset of people. Um, and then too, like many others in the crypto ecosystem, uh, I, I really want to see uh, these things have an effect on really large scale systemic stuff, payments, remittance, B2B payments, invoice payments. Um, yeah. uh, I, I tend to pay attention to a lot of the financial infrastructure stuff. So that's why I'm kind of going to all these things. Because yeah. again, when, when, these start, when these things start making 1% of all worldwide payment volume, 5% all world, worldwide payment volume, 10%, then people are going to start really taking this stuff far more seriously than they do today. I yeah. still think people treat it a little bit like, oh, that's cute and that's nice. And like, they don't fully understand the full-scale impact that these things could have, but they right. will at some point in time, whether yeah. it's now or five years or 10 years, like this stuff is coming uh, kind of, again, whether we like it or not. And by then it'll be too late if they don't get in now. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been fun. Yeah. Th thank you so much for having me. And uh, uh, yeah, I always appreciate talking to you.